Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. The title of my sermon is Paradox Paradigm. And we're going through the Beatitudes, the proclamations from Jesus over his people that we are blessed. Last week, we looked at the first four where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. You know, many people believe meekness is weakness, but Jesus personified strength even through meekness. Jesus proclaims blessing over his people, over you and over me. He blesses those who mourn, and he promises that we would be comforted, and he blesses those that are hungry and are thirsty for righteousness. I hope that's you uh, this weekend, that you are hungry and you are thirsty for the word of God, the things of God, and I believe today you will be filled. So let's go right into the next few Beatitudes. Let's read them together, but before we do, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, right now, will you come and will you speak through the screen to your people, however they're hearing this, whatever platform, wherever they are uh, in the world, wherever they're located, in their home, in their car, I thank you that right now your presence can invade that space, God. Your spirit can speak directly to our minds and our hearts. So right now we ask for revelation, Lord God. More than information, we ask for revelation. Come and speak. In Jesus' name, come on, everyone said amen. Amen, amen. Let's start in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking on the mountain to the crowd and the disciples, and he's proclaiming blessed. And here in the fifth beatitude, we catch up in the middle of, uh, of this sermonette, and Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We see Jesus is proclaiming the conditions for God's blessing in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven works differently than the kingdom of earth. God is trying to show us a new way to live. How a greater kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom operates. And he is the king. And so these proclamations are his conditions for blessing. And so he is setting forth the characteristics that he wants to see personified in his people, in you and in me. And so today, I want to show you how God's conditions for blessing is that we would receive the characteristics of Christ in our life and that we would personify them in our actions. And I believe God's goal and is that the kingdom of heaven would be shown through his people here on planet earth. That people would see us, but through us, that they would see Jesus Christ. So let's look at the very first beatitude. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. The merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. Here's the paradox. All of these beatitudes, they're, they're spiritual principles, which means they're, they're upside down and opposite. They're, they're paradoxes. Here's the paradox presented in this proclamation. Say that three times fast. Here's the paradox. How the, the mercy that you receive is directly correlated to the mercy you dispense. This is what Jesus is saying. This is how you can receive mercy. But hold on. Understand that the mercy that you receive is correlated. It's connected. It's attached to the mercy you dispense. Yes, God's mercy is eternal. It's complete. And his mercy to us, it is unconditional. But Jesus says, I want you to grow up now. I want you to mature. And I want you to understand that you do not receive my mercy truly without giving out my mercy fully. The paradox here is the mercy that we receive is correlated to the mercy we dispense. God sets before his people this truth that in order to receive from him, you must become like him. In order to receive from him, you must become like him to those around you. So he says, I'm going to give you mercy, but I want you to become like me. And what is God? What is Jesus? But merciful to people. The cross is the icon of mercy. It's the display of God's love, grace, and his mercy for mankind. And the cross is a picture of what God wants us to become. It is the model for humanity. And remember, on the cross, the picture of mercy, Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Then Jesus turns to us and he says, now, if you want to follow me, I want you to take up your own cross. Here's the model. Here's what it looks like. Here's what mercy being dispensed sounds like. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. What is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to be merciful. As I was merciful to you, as I modeled it, as I showed it, now it's your turn to be merciful to those around you. Jesus illustrates this when he's speaking to his disciples about what forgiveness looks like in the kingdom of heaven. And he tells this story about a servant that owed a king a large sum of money. One day the king decides to settle accounts and he calls the servant into his throne room and the account, how much this servant owed, is read out in this throne room. And, and the sum is so large that the servant could never repay the king. In a lifetime, in a hundred lifetimes, this servant could not work his way back into repayment, back into the king's good graces. No matter what he did, the sum was just too large. The servant, realizing this, knowing that it would be the king's decree to sell him into slavery, into eternal servanthood until the debt would be repaid, the servant drops to his knees and he begins to beg God for mercy. He says, please be patient with me. Please be kind with me. Give me grace 
so that I might have time to repay you. But the, the king knows this servant could never repay. Even the servant knows that he could never repay. What the king's decree would be is that this man and his whole family would be sold into generational slavery in order to pay the king back. But the Bible says the king was moved with pity. The king was moved with compassion. The king was moved by mercy. And he chose instead, not just to allow more time, he says, I'm going to choose to cancel the debts completely. 100%, I choose to take the debt on myself. I relieve you of it. And so the man did not have to repay. He got up from the floor, a new man. And he walked out of the king's court completely free. Though he deserved the opposite of freedom, because of the king's mercy, he walked into a life of freedom. Freedom generationally. Well, Jesus goes on to say that this man went and found another servant, his fellow servant. And his fellow servant owed him a small sum of money, about a day's wages. No big deal. Well, he said, I want my money and I want it right now. The wicked servant said that to his fellow servant. Well, this other servant said, I, I don't have your money right now, but, but please be patient with me. He falls to his knees and begs him, please be patient with me and I will repay you. But the wicked servant says, absolutely not. I want my money now. And he threw his fellow servant in prison until he could repay him. The other servants that saw this all happen and knew that the wicked servant was just forgiven by the king said something is wrong here. He's not mimicking the model that the king set forth. And so they went before the king and they told of the action of their fellow servants. They let the king in on what was going on in his realm. So the king called the wicked servant before him again. And he said, did I not just forgive you? Did I not just allow you to have your debts be canceled? And yet you chose wickedness when instead of giving mercy to your fellow servant, you chose to hold him to a standard that I do not hold you to. What is Jesus illustrating? He's saying this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. If you are forgiven by the king, go forgive like the king. If you receive mercy from the king, go dispense mercy like the king. But if you hold your fellow man to a standard that even God, though he could, does not hold you to, then God himself will change. And he'll hold you to the standard that you deserve. And this is a standard that you could not repay. With a thousand years, you couldn't work your way towards grace. With all the good works in the world, you could not earn or deserve mercy. It's only because of the cross that Jesus says, I'll take the debt on myself. I'll take your payment on myself. I will give you mercy and I'll receive death. I will give you grace and I'll receive shame. Jesus releases us from generational curses and he gives us generational blessings. But he does say, I want something in return. The mercy that you've received, go now and freely give. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to become like me. I want you 
to see me as your model. I want now my mercy to not just flow to you. I want it to flow through you. This is what Jesus is asking you and I. He says this to, the, to, to all those that would seek to judge their fellow man later on in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I want you to become like me. And it is absolutely in your best eternal interest to be merciful. Because see, your words, they have a boomerang effect. Your actions, they have a boomerang effect. What Jesus is saying is how you judge, it sets a contract in the atmosphere that you will be judged by. What you say about others, people that screwed up, people that are making mistakes, people around you that fell, Jesus is saying, when you speak on those situations, understand that you are, that there's a double speak going on. You're not just commenting on them. You're setting up condemnation on yourself. Jesus is, is saying that doesn't have to be you, though. You could be merciful in your speech, merciful in your actions, merciful in your measurement out to other people. Then Jesus said, then I'll be merciful to you. However you measure it out to others, make no mistake, it will be measured back to you. Your words and your actions have a boomerang effect. Think about Haman, who set out a decree to build gallows outside of his house that he was going to put Mordecai on and take Mordecai's life. But what happened? That decree, that measure of justice, judgment, had a boomerang effect. And Haman Though he proclaimed condemnation and evil over Mordecai, he himself received that death. Haman was the one that died on the gallows he built. He died on the decree that he made. What I'm saying to you today is do not allow your words to build a scaffolding gallows for your own life. Do not allow your actions to move out of alignment with the mercy God has given you. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a lifestyle of decisions, alignments, and realignments. Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, become like me. Dispense mercy instead of judgment. Dispense grace instead of gracelessness. For see, when you find mercy for others in yourself, you will find mercy for yourself. Jesus goes on and he declares another blessing. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Here's the paradox. Par the paradox is seeing God starts with who we are internally. Who we are, not what we do. See, religion says, dead religion says, the access to God is through good, pure, spiritual works. But Jesus says, do you want to see God? Do you want to encounter him? Do you want to know him? It starts with your inner self. Jesus was concerned with the state of your heart before the state of your actions. He was concerned with the state of your soul, your inner state. See, understand that 
The word heart here when it's, it's used in the New Testament, it actually means more than your emotions or your feelings. The word heart means your inner self. It means your mind. It means your motivations. It, it, it means your internal decisions. What Jesus is saying, much like when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it means something deeper. When he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart, he's saying, blessed are those who inside align with me, who are pursuing me, that want to be clean from um, hypocrisy in your soul. He's saying it's not about how you look. It's not about what your actions declare. The Bible says God's not thrown off by the outside. He can see straight to the heart. And what Jesus is concerned with is for us to have a heart that's aligned with him, your internal state. See, God's goal is that we would become clean in the place of our inner self, where our thoughts are, what our desires are, what our motivations are. See, that, that our character would become clean, healthy, whole, spiritual, that it would reflect God, that you'd be healthy in your heart. That's the goal of God. See, what he's challenging at this time, and he's challenging today, he's challenging a, a purity culture that's built on works. He's challenging the outward, the outward display of godliness without an internal relationship with God. He's challenging a culture of purity by performance. This is legalism. Many churches in the 80s and 90s, they, they, they got caught up in the legalistic way to live. Now it seems like the pendulum swung. Seems like the church has got an understanding of grace and our culture has become filled with law and gracelessness. But see, what Jesus is challenging is deeper than just the action. He's going right to our heart. And what he's saying is, I want people, I want people to begin to be clean, clear, holy in who they are, not just who they pretend or present to be. Understand, Jesus is speaking to a culture filled with Pharisees, lawyers. They knew everything about what they should look like, how they should act, what was desired for them to say by culture. They knew the law in and out. They dressed the right way. They talked the right way. They knew the right narratives, repeated the right words, told the right stories. These Pharisees were the height of purity. They tithed. They gave. They were generous. They used all the right words. And yet Jesus said, I'm looking deeper. And though you got everyone else fooled, I see that inside it's all about you. Inside, you're full of strife. Inside, your heart has grown cold. Jesus is looking at the heart. And he says to those Pharisees, the lawyers, those that put on a religious display, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones every single kind of impurity. What Jesus is saying 
is you look good to the world, but inside there's corruption. There's death. There's flesh. Dead, broken religion that does not save is personified by external purity with internal sin. Jesus is saying, I don't, I don't care what it looks like out there, even if other people buy it. He says, it's you and me now. Let's look at the state of your heart. And if you want to know me, see me, experience me, it starts inside, not outside. Jesus uses another illustration. He says, you're like a cup that's continually washed on the outside, but inside there's fermentation. Inside, there's something wrong, something growing that is making you sick. I remember one time when I was young, I was drinking milk. I was a kid. I said, man, this tastes weird. I kept telling my mom, this tastes weird. And she's like, just finish the milk, you know, 90s mom. Just <laughs> see it through. I said, this tastes weird. Finally, after I drank the whole cup, my mom goes, give me that. She tastes it. She goes, oh, this milk is sour. We looked at the expiration date, weeks past the expiration date. I think it was weeks. I tell myself it was weeks. Now I have a distrust with milk going. When I drink it, I can still taste that sour taste. Look, it looked fine, but its integrity had failed. It looked okay, but it was not fresh. What Jesus is saying is what really matters, what really brings blessing, is the inside, your integrity, your heart, and your soul. The things that people don't see, yet are absolutely essential. This is what God's goal is for you. God's goal is that you would have life on the inside. That you would have life. That you would have an experience with God. That you would have joy and peace. That you would prosper on the inside. That you would not have to be ashamed that you would not be pierced with many sorrows, that you would not have to be covering up sinfulness and destruction on the inside, but that you would have life. I think about that picture, the paradox of the empty tomb. Every single tomb that's ever been built has been inhabited. Every grave that's ever been dug has been filled, but there is one tomb in the history of humanity that was made and yet not occupied. And it's the tomb of Jesus Christ. And I love the moment when they came to discover the tomb of Jesus. And the angel says, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. See, what this angel was speaking about is that in this tomb, there's only life. I I can't help but connect it to the time where Jesus was saying, I've seen what's on the inside of you Pharisees. It's only death. But then Jesus personifies what he wants on the inside of us. When you would look into the tomb of Christ, you only see life. I pray that you don't have death on the inside, but that you have life and life more abundantly. That it would come out from within you. That it would be a cleansing process, purification process. And hear me, this is not something that you can will yourself to, hope yourself to, try your way to. This only comes as a response from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will inhabit your soul. He will challenge you. He will convict you. So many people say, Jordan, give me a list. 
What should I do? What should I not do? Just tell me what to do. Listen, you got the Holy Spirit. He's going to come on the inside of you. He is going to lead you and guide you. He's going to remove some things from your life. He's going to challenge some things from your life. When you receive the spiritual prayer language, he will bring peace to your soul. There will all of a sudden be something that starts bubbling out of you. One month, one year, one decade later, you are different. And is it because you tried harder, worked harder, dressed better, spoke more. No, that's Pharisee stuff. It's because you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. What, what did David pray? He says, Lord, create in me a clean heart. I can't do it. I tried and failed, but you, God, you know my heart. You made my heart, and you can recreate my heart. Renew in me a right spirit. What kind of spirit do you want on the inside? I want the Holy Spirit. Renew in me your spirit, Lord. I want your fruit on the inside of my life. I want your way, not my way. I don't care what it looks like to others. It matters what's going on the inside with me and you. And God says, get your heart right. And then you'll see me. You'll see me working in your life. You'll see me working in your family. You'll see me aligning, arranging, rearranging your future. Yes, Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to bring life out of the inside, not death. Proverbs says, so guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. I believe that. That empty tomb is a promise to you and I, life instead of death on the inside. Jesus declares the seventh blessing. He says, blessed are, those, are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Here's the paradox. The eternal power chooses peace. Though he could have chosen war and conquered. Though he could have chosen violence and come out victorious. The eternal power chooses peace. And then he dictates to his followers, I want you to choose peace. I want you to be a peacemaker. That's the way to my blessing. You could say it this way. God blesses those who use their strength for the lifting up of all. That's a peacemaker. Peace is a Christ-like quality. It's a quality of who he is. One of his titles is that he is the prince of peace. And so when you, when you receive Jesus, you receive that quality. You receive that DNA. He, the, uh, Jesus says if you become a peacemaker, you become a son of God. You become a child of God. You begin to look like me. My two children, they look like me. Now I hope my daughter looks like her mom. But my two boys, they look like me. And people say it all the time, and I take pride in it. They do look like me. I, that's right. It's because they have my DNA. They personify their father. What Jesus is saying is when you are a peacemaker, when you get that on your spirit and your actions, you begin to look like who your father is. Peacemakers personify Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Peacemakers personify who Jesus is. Though he was conqueror of all, all-powerful, all-knowing, Jesus chose to conquer through peace. And so he says, walk in that way. Look like me. When Jesus is speaking about the end times, he says this. He says, 
In those times, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. What Jesus is saying is that violence, atrocities emanate from a cold heart. Jesus is saying, don't let your heart grow cold. Let your heart be connected with me and let peace begin to flow out of your life. I pray we as Christians do not grow cold to the people around us. Even though there will be injustice done to us, even though we're in circumstances that are incredibly wildly ungodly and increasing in that direction, I pray that our love will not grow cold because it's out of our love that the action of making peace will flow. Jesus says in the end times, that's where you will see these horrible things increase. Murder and vengeance, genocide, they come. They're the outflow of cold hearts. See, the problem is when we have no father, our brother, or our, let me say it this way. When we have no father, no man is our brother. No woman is our sister. But when we know what our father looks like, when we look like our father, our, our brother is all men, our sister is all women, this is why we make peace. Because we recognize our father in each other. Jesus said, blessed are those who make peace. That's what I came to do. If you make peace, you're a son, you're a daughter of who I am. You look like me. You act like me. Paul says this in Romans. He says, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Might not always be possible. And there might be things that come not dependent on you. But Paul's saying, if it's possible, as long as it depends on you, let there be a spirit of peace on you. Let it emanate from you in who you are. You need to determine today, I, I will not be the source of strife. I will not be the source of violence. I will not be the source of division. I will not be the source of division in my house or God's house. See, the Spirit of God brings unity. I believe the Spirit of God, through you, wants to make peace with those around you. And the process of peace is initiated not by being right, but by being humble. Maybe there are some people that you need to go to and say, look, I apologize. Even if they were 90% wrong and you were only 10%, God says, be the peacemaker. Be the initiator. Hey, I apologize. For my part in that thing, I'm really sorry. Maybe there's some people that you need to have some conversations with. Maybe there's some people that you demand and desire a retraction from, but you, instead, you know what? Give them space and give them time. Why? Because God says, I didn't put you on this earth to stir up more strife. That's instinctual. That's natural. That's flesh. He says, I, I put you on earth to look like me in the earth, to bring peace to all those around you in as much capacity as you can. I pray that's what our church looks like. Lastly, Jesus declares this blessing over his people. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. I love how Jesus ends this sermon. He says, and blessed are you. See, the paradox here is how can I be persecuted, mocked, and defamed, and still be blessed? How's that possible? Jesus says, because you've become like me. He was mocked, defamed, persecuted, and still blessed. I love that the Beatitudes begin with the word blessings, and they end with the concept of reward. I don't think the main point here is the persecution. I think the main point in this verse is the reward. For your reward will be great because you honored God. One of the greatest scenes in the New Testament is when Jesus gathers his disciples on the, in the Last Supper, the eve of the crucifixion. Those that have been with him through thick and thin, this is his final message to them before the moment that he had come to fulfill his mission on planet Earth, the moment that all of eternity had been looking to. This is what Jesus had to say. He says, if, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. What Jesus is saying is blessed are you when you're persecuted, reviled, hated, arrested, censored, mocked, shut down, ostracized because of me. Jesus says, I will send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will be your advocate and he will be your strength and you stand with the mighty one. And though the sinful shout, God stands as savior. I'd rather receive his blessing, even amidst persecution, than all of the favor and adoration of this temporary and dying world. Jesus says, I will, I will send my spirit and he will be a witness and a helper with you. For you have been with me since the beginning.
I pray that today you embody the characteristics of Jesus, that you become merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker, and I pray that you are blessed, that great is your reward in heaven. God's condition for blessing, that we receive the character of Jesus Christ. May that be personified in you, that God may work through you, that the kingdom can be shown all around you, and that he will get the glory. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.